Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and I'm joined by returning guest and fan favorite, Rachel Harrison, author of the new Such Sharp Teeth. So Rachel, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. Oh, I am so excited to have you back on the show. So your book is officially out in the world now. It is. Yeah, (laughs) it's exciting and scary equally as exciting as it is terrifying does it change I mean this is your third big book out in the world I kind of thought it would get easier um and I feel like with cackle and the return I was kind of ready like when it came time I was like go forth into the world like goodbye we had thanks for the memories (laughs) and with this one I was like I'm not emotionally prepared to have people read this so uh, I was hoping it would get easier, but I think it's going to be different every time. It's It's been a nail biter, this one, because it's like very close to my heart and precious to me. But we getting through it. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit more like vulnerability in this story. Yeah. So I'm very much like Rory, where I'm like, I don't want to be vulnerable. And like, it, it feels very vulnerable to have this this book in particular out in the world loved this story i think one of the quotes i highlighted was rory talking about vulnerability and you know shutting yourself up and into yourself there there was just so much that i liked about the story and we will get into that Uh, but for our listeners who are not aware can you tell them a little bit about such sharp teeth so such sharp teeth is about rory morris who is a confident independent woman in her late 20s she's very successful she has like a hotshot life in New York City. And her twin sister, Scarlett, calls her and asks her to come back to their hometown where Scarlett lives. Scarlett is pregnant and estranged from her longtime partner and needs some emotional support. And so Rory drops everything and goes back to be with her sister. And like a week after being home, she runs into Ian, who is a friend from childhood who always had a thing for Rory and Rory doesn't really do relationships, but she feels kind of a spark that Mm -hmm. throws her off and she's thinking about it while she's driving home from seeing him. And while she's distracted, she hits something with her car. And when she gets out to investigate, she is attacked and she miraculously survives the attack, but her body starts to change and she starts to go through a transformation physically that forces her to confront some of the emotional things in her path that past that she's been running away from. And it's um, kind of body horror, rom-com, creature feature, werewolf book. And I think the, the mix of body horror and rom-com worked together so well. Are you a big body horror person? I am like terrified what terrifies me most is a lack of control and we don't have control over our bodies so body horror does freak me out to an extreme point where sometimes if it's too extreme body horror i can't handle it um but it's an interesting like bruise for me to press on to write about body horror because i'm very sensitive to it I can see that. I One of the quotes I highlighted here that really stuck out to me, and it's a passage I think early on into her after she gets bit, but it's like, my body answers with another heave because I belong to it more than it belongs to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think when we think of werewolves, I don't think we think of it as a feminine thing, but I don't know why we don't. That's the whole reason I wrote the book, because I was, I was thinking, like, how come there's not more lady werewolf content. There's so many parallels there. Once I started thinking about it, that I was surprised there's not a lot in the contemporary horror space. Um, So yeah, when, once I started writing, I was like, Oh, there's a connection and there's a connection and I can pull on this experience. And um, so it was kind of an easy, write In in that way. Yeah. Cause I, I think we really only have, I think the thing people probably think of at the top of their heads is ginger snaps. Oh. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that was a major influence for me too. But that is like a book about puberty and being a teenage girl. Mm-hmm. And like we still, <laughs> I part of the reason I wrote the book was I was like, I kind of thought it would get easier to like be in my body. 
and like you're warned about puberty and but then you get older and there's like all other new fun things you discover about existing in your body and um i was like i want something that i can relate to now Mm -hmm. and i want to write about the issues i'm going through now versus just having the like puberty kind of doesn't end and they don't really tell you that they don't and you're yeah you're absolutely right it is like you're getting i mean rory gets bit and she's in her her late 20s and now this is another thing aside from being a woman and everything that comes with that that she has to deal with now this thing on top of it yeah i feel like very much like this idea of alienness within your own body and i think you also explore that too through scarlet uh being pregnant and that's a whole other experience of something happening to your body that is so foreign to you that you have no control over it is quite the experience what part of the story came to you first so it was definitely the concept like i want to write like a lady werewolf book i usually like think of the concept for like come up with a concept for a book and then the character will kind of come next like what character will fit into this story and like find the voice and so once I found Rory's voice then it kind of all came together because I wanted a protagonist my previous two books my protagonists are very insecure and like don't have their shit together and I don't think it would have been as interesting to have the protagonist in a werewolf book be a mess and then get bitten by a werewolf and still be a mess so i wanted to have somebody who's like life was great and who like is very confident within herself and everything's going swimmingly get bit because then she has to reckon with like what would that do to her and what would that force to like force her to confront um and also i was a little bit sick of writing protagonists who feel sorry for themselves and I wanted to have somebody who I mean Rory does feel sorry for herself at some points but I wanted to write somebody confident I wanted to like slip into that skin and be with somebody who like doesn't need to like love and accept herself because she already has it's more about like different challenges um so that's how it all came together yeah Rory was an interesting protagonist in that way because she is more confident and confrontational than Annie was in in Cackle and brought a different energy. But yeah, I think it made it more interesting when she's exploring this loss of control because she had a certain control over her life and her situation. So bringing this in. And I mean, I will say this book felt, is it weird to say that I felt this book was healing in a way? Uh, I'm glad. Yeah. I, I mean, I think when I sat down to write it, I didn't expect it to be as a, like, some of the things that came out on the page, I did not anticipate to come out on the page. Um, but there's definitely a lot of heavier stuff that goes down. And I I think I balance, I wanted to balance out everything, like confronting the heavier issues with like a romance <laughs> and the like body horror with like familial relationships. So yes. for every like like really dark place the book goes to, I think there's an equally like, funny moment or light moment to kind of balance it out yeah there there definitely is and yeah it does seem like I mean we talked about Rory having control over her life but a lot of that is because she doesn't want to confront or come to face with certain things in her life until she is bit by this werewolf and kind of in a way forced to do that because of this new situation and new reality that she's in too yeah, it's interesting now I'm thinking about it that like me writing this book forced me to confront things I was avoiding as much as getting bitten by a werewolf forces Rory to confront some things that she's been avoiding. But um, yeah, that's what, that went, that's what happens when you bury things deep in your subconscious. They sort of spill out when you don't expect them to. Yeah. I think we talked about that last time you were on that. Yeah, writing is a, a form of therapy and you kind of write things out and you're like, oh. Where did that come from? Yeah, I'm, I'm still on that. <laughs> still on that that pattern where I'm like, ah, yes, <laughs> this thing that I've been avoiding for how many years? 
Yeah, and you uh, mentioned it earlier, but yeah, Cackle and The Return, I think, mostly deal with female friendship. And that's, I think, I think you do very well. Um, but it was interesting to read this and kind of delve into more complicated familial relationships. So what was that turn like? I think the stakes needed to be a little bit higher uh, in this book. And as much as like, I think friendships are like my friendships are some of the most important relationships I have. Um, For this, it was a lot about Rory wanting to be seen and accepted. And so if you're not seen and accepted by one of your friends, you still can kind of go and make another friend, but you can't like find another sister or another mother. Um, those, you can sever those relationships, but if you, if there's love there and enough there that the relation, you want to save those relationships, how do you do that? And there's a lot, like you, you can't just make another, I've already said this, but you can't just make another mother or make another sister. And if you want to salvage those relationships, how can you forgive or open up um, to them if you've been reluctant to do it in the past? So again, it just seemed like higher stakes to confront those relationships in this book and the greater context of this book. Um, and if Rory, it's kind of like a test of, can she forgive her mother? Can she open up to Scarlet? And if she can do those things, how can she like move on and form other relationships in her life, um, like a romantic connection? So it was kind of functional and served the story better to have to explore the familial relationships versus friendship. Um, I mean, there still are like there's still a complicated friendship in this book, but I wanted to have it be broader because most in the first two books, it's a lot about the protagonist's relationship with themselves. And Rory is pretty much good with herself in this book. It's more about her, how can she be good in her relationships? So there needed to be different, more of a variety of relationships and um, the stakes needed to be higher. That was not an eloquent way of saying my point, but you get what I'm saying, right? Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah, Rory's mother, that was a, a tough relationship to read <laughs> on the on the page. And I think a lot of people are going to, I mean, relate to at least, I think, some aspect of that or some, you know, aspect of her relationship with her twin. But I know I tweeted at you, but I was like, wow, just reading this book and finding literally the exact same thing my therapist has told me on this page is like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because people react differently to the to the mother and like she's not like wicked Mm -hmm. but I think that makes it worse because she she, just the refusing to take responsibility yep um and also having a, a parent not stepping into the role of a parent in terms of like you have to be the bigger person even though they're your parent I think that's a really complicated shitty thing and I think a lot of us deal with it to varying degrees in our relationship with our parents and it's a hard it's hard to be an adult and reckon with things that you didn't realize were happening in your childhood and that perspective sometimes is more of a curse than a blessing so um I think it was important to explore that relationship in an honest way, especially like mother-daughter relationships. I think a lot of times, kind of like female friendship, they're either depicted as perfect, like, you know, Gilmore Girls, like we're best friends, or they're depicted as like extremely contentious, like my mother was horrific and would lock me in the closet. And a lot of times they exist in the space between. So um, yeah, it was interesting to explore. And I kind of take that like book four is a lot about family relationships. So I think 
it was fun to test new ground too. I don't want to do the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to write about female friendship, but if I was just writing about that, I think I would run out of material eventually. Yeah. You definitely don't want to put yourself in a, in a box. And it's interesting to see like what people can do when they're exploring new ground. And I mean, I don't want to put you in a box right now by being like, I feel like you really capture the millennial <laughs> experience. Um, but I feel like I've seen a lot of us, I think, being more internal and looking back and I think examining our familial relationships. I mean, I am a millennial writer. So I I mean, that's one box that I'm like fine being in because I think I feel comfortable being in that box. I feel like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of this generation, and I'm always going to be of this generation. So, um, and I think millennials, we have a certain camaraderie among us. I think we were just so hated by everyone. Like older generations think we are lazy and younger generations think we're uncool, but like we've got screwed over on every single, like, Every single layer we've gotten screwed over. And then, yeah. And then people are like, you part your hair to the side. <laughs> Leave us alone. Let me have my comfort side bangs. Gosh. Let me use the cringy cry laughing emoji. Just let me be. Is that um, is that emoji? Do they think that emoji is cringe? Because I... Yes. They, the the youth do. They have the whole, I mean, I'm on TikTok, so I see a lot of the Gen Z takes on millennial derogatory, <laughs> all the all the things we do, the skinny jeans, the calling our dogs doggo, Instagram captioning, we did a thing, you know, all the things they make fun They're of us so for. They're so mean. They're so <laughs> brutal. I'm like, oh, I forgot what bullying felt like. It's this. You know what, though? They've never known the joy of a Delia's catalog, so. <laughs> or the emotional roller coaster of a MySpace Top 8, you know? Yeah. 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 I, they grew up with social media, so I have some empathy for them. Um, mm-hmm. But I also like my emojis, so. Oh, I, I do. I'm like, I'm cringy and that's fine i love pumpkin spice lattes i love taylor swift like i'm just i am a cringy millennial that's 100 percent okay that is fine i haven't figured out tiktok yet and now i'm too scared <laughs> i'm a bad millennial like i wasn't even on instagram for the longest time so really yeah i only got on it when like before the return was coming out then i started getting tagged in reviews and i was like get me off this that's got to be one of the worst parts of being someone who puts your work out there for the world is people like I mean obviously everyone is entitled to their opinion of their work but I think the the tagging you and like this was fine yeah I, I mean I think what was bad for me then was I didn't know what to expect um and you know you get tagged in really lovely beautiful things too that like you're like this is like this is so nice like I feel so seen um but yeah, I just wasn't expecting it. And so that was interesting. I, I feel like I treat my Instagram as like part of my job. Like, I don't like really post a lot of personal things on there. I'm not like, look at me at my local Starbucks. Um, it's mostly just me being like, look at my book. <laughs> um, so it's fine. It's just interest. Social media is interesting. I can't imagine like growing up with like being in middle school and having Instagram like being in middle school in general is miserable and then like having to deal with kids outside of that oh yeah no thanks we did get lucky with with that um because yeah Instagram came out when I was in college and I remember that was you know a big thing at the time, everyone had to be on Instagram and see what everyone was doing. And so, yeah, I, I can't imagine that for the younger generations, having to be so performative all the time. Like, that is so draining. Yeah. And that's why they get mad at us. <laughs> and they, they think we're uncool for our, our pumpkin spice lattes. But then they've, like, they've copped our style now. Mm-hmm. Like, they're wearing butterfly clips. Yeah. So... I know. I walked through Target the other day. I'm like, is this like bright rainbow shirt? I had this shirt. I had these like 
flared jeans like what is this yeah it's all the like like late 90s early 2000s have come back so they can tell us that we aren't cool but again they're copying our style and they'll never know the joy of like purchasing a cd or the borders bookstore oh yeah cds were so expensive though they were yeah dvds mm-hmm. oh my gosh my first dvd was i got for my birthday i got like the first x-men um and the drew barrymore cameron diaz charlie's angels uh two classics <laughs> yeah i'm like the best uh, but anyway back to <laughs> we went on a millennial tangent but we're entitled oh. we are we are entitled as both generations that sandwich us would say. Actually, I'm sorry, Jenna, because I know you all keep being the forgotten child. Yeah, that's this? true. <laughs> I'm sorry. Another thing I've, I found interesting is like, especially I think with Cackle and Such Sharp Teeth, they both feature protagonists that are in kind of, not liminal, like transitory, but like moving from the city to a smaller town and kind of trying it on for size and seeing how they feel about it. Was that an intentional choice it was a lot such sharp teeth i had already left brooklyn but even in the return too um it was a lot of like i know i'm not going to be in the city forever and like testing out like shoving my characters first and letting them fall and see how they felt about it um so it was kind of like me playing out my own fear of leaving the city through them um and then through rory as well um, but I, I think I'm done with like the returning, like the small town. I'm terrified of leaving the city thing, um, cause I've done it now and I feel okay. But it was, again, it's just a, an internal coping mechanism that came out through my work, um, about, and I, for, for horror in general, like small towns are very functional for scary shit so um part of it was function and part of it was like again me working out my issues and <laughs> my writing is therapy fun that way when i describe them that way was there a different approach this time because in in cackle annie is trying on like she takes this job in this town that she's new to that she's never been whereas such sharp teeth she's kind of going back to her hometown in a place she was familiar with that she you know left went to the city and is now coming back to I think again it was functional because yeah like she had to confront her past and like she's literally running from this place that she went back to and I think also like sometimes we tell ourselves I'll be happier somewhere else and it's not the truth um and I think this whole time she's been telling herself that she's happy in the city, but she's not like, she still has these things that like these burdens that she's carrying around that she's probably not fully conscious of. Um, and then she doesn't like to go back home because it's uncomfortable because she has to confront those things and she can't, you know, tuck them away and not think about them. But eventually again eventually the things you suppress will find their way out and so i think it's healthy it's uncomfortable but it's healthy that she's back and that she confronts these things um and ultimately it's like probably for the best that everything that happens to her in the book happens to her because it's not like there was going to be a reckoning eventually um and i just think like hometowns are so fun you like run into all these old old friends old rivals and it's familiar but you're not different than when you were there there's a lot to play with with hometowns it was it felt very lived in too it's definitely like based on like my hometown in new jersey i've had two of my friends text me and they're like really the corner pub and i'm like yes <laughs> which is a real place it's cooler in the book but it is a real place where like if you go you will see 10 people from high school at least it was a nice little easter egg for people you grew up with yeah i don't know i just remember reading the the scene where like ash has the 
hosts the Halloween party. And I was like, I have been to this party. Like every every single description, I'm like, I've been to this party. And you know what? It was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, I would love to go to the parties. Even though like Rory's like, I'm above this. Like, yeah. I was writing it and I was like, I'm not above it. I'd be in costume. All the snack tables sound amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of this like, cheesy millennial like hosting a halloween party with like themed snacks and i'm like that's fun i would do that and i like those plastic dinosaur costumes they're hilarious let us be cheesy with our cheesiness one part i thought was really fun was the uh i mean as rory i think comes to terms with what's happening to her pretty quickly and i think her her research into like what's going on i think is really funny what that looks like in the the modern world yeah, because I was thinking, like, what would I do? And I would Google. Like, that's what I would do. I think that's what anyone would do. And and I did Google. And then some of it is, like, a lot of it's, like, based on what I found on Google. Like, there was a very earnest, I found, like, a very earnest posting on a message board somewhere that was, like, well, if you get bitten by a werewolf, you need to buy a dog crate and you need to like get snacks. I recommend rotisserie chickens and it's going to suck. But like, <laughs> I was like frank and straight to the point. And that made it into the book where like she goes online and someone's just like, it's going to be super painful and like lock yourself up in a dog crate and good luck. Um, so the internet's a weird place, uh, <laughs> but it's exactly where I would go. And it yeah. like, it also like, I think a lot of like the body horror in the book, I tried to ground, make feel like it was grounded. And if you have any, like for me, if I have any symptoms, I'm always on like WebMD. It's always like, you're fucked. And so I just thought like that would be kind of fun to incorporate. Not fun, but like a nod to incorporate into the book where it's like, I have a headache and WebMD is like, you are <laughs> good luck you're not gonna make it yeah you're terminally ill yeah and that kind of element of being like uh i was bitten by a werewolf and then on internet just being like well have fun with that well i think also i mean in this situation it's not like you're really gonna find a cure this it's just something you are stuck with for the rest of your life and i hope you're ready to find a way to make that work into your life because this is your new reality yeah i mean I was thinking about it a lot in the terms of menstruation, but also like chronic illness. Mm -hmm. I deal with some chronic health issues and just thinking about that where it's like, yeah, it sucks, but you just have to deal with it and keep going. And, you know, I think a lot of times if you hear about certain medical conditions or, you know, I remember being like 10 and reading, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. And my mom being like, yeah, this is a thing that happens at me being like, what are you talking about? That sounds horrific. I cannot believe that I'm just supposed to keep living my life when years and years I'm going to have to deal with this once a month. And I just couldn't fathom it. And then it happens and you're like, all right, like you just mm -hmm. keep going. Like it. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to think about that in terms of like lycanthropy where it's like, how horrific would it be once a month to be in excruciating pain and to turn into a monster and then to wake up the next day and to just have to deal with it and it like thinking about it seems unmanageable but if it happened to you you probably would just be like okay like figure out a way to deal with it and keep going because you would have no other choice mm -hmm. so that was really interesting to me to think about um especially like when she's like playing with her wound and stuff like all that stuff felt very realistic to me because I'm like a scab picker and, you know, like I shouldn't be doing this, but like, look at this gross thing on my body. Like there's part of it that's like, I don't know, intriguing. Our bodies are wild, wild things. They really are. And I mean, yeah, I think that would be normal to try to test the limits of what has just happened to you and what this means um i was gonna say for you it was are you there god it's me margaret for me it was the american girl like the karen keeping of you that i had mine. that one too yeah 
that one was I feel like scary but I felt like there were like illustrations and I felt like it walked you through like a nice pace mm-hmm. also like are you there god it's me Margaret was like outdated when I read it so I was like what is this belt they're describing <laughs> like it sounded like way intense um yeah and then at the end somebody runs over their foot with a lawnmower and now I like I won't, won't mow the lawn because I'm like Madman style. Yeah, yeah. Madman and Judy Bloom. Was that a fear people had in the the sixties and seventies? I don't know. It was very strange. I but like I remember it. I those are the two things I remember about the book. The violence, which is now right <laughs> horror. I guess this classic like coming of age story, what I remember is the one violent scene. Um I do have some Patreon questions, I would say they're more comments, but uh, questions from Patreon supporters. Annette says, hi, Rachel. No question. I just want to say thank you for writing about life issues that resonate with me as a woman. I'm really looking forward to such sharp teeth. I love the idea of exploring female rage and change through the werewolf trope. Oh, thank you. Uh, Yeah, rage was another thing. I haven't... Yeah, we didn't get into that. Yeah, I think... I like don't really experience my rage very often. It kind of comes out <laughs> in like strange, weird ways at weird times. But yeah, it was a little bit cathartic to think about like beating the shit out of something, <laughs> which like, I don't know, like the rage room or just to like be in a body that's like super powerful and like how would i feel to have like it's painful and it's horrific to transform into the werewolf but like how would it feel to actually be the wolf and to like mm-hmm. be in power and not have to be afraid of anything that was like cathartic and i don't know it was kind of nice to think about that there's a scene in the book where like Rory's with some guy and he's kind of creepy and she's just like he doesn't think he's in danger but like I wonder what it's like to like never think that you're in danger and it was interesting when I was writing it I was like yeah like some people walk around and they don't know what it's like to feel afraid Mm -hmm. and what would it be like if like you stepped into a form where you didn't have to be afraid because you were powerful And that was fun to think about. And then the rage stuff, I guess, I would just tap into from some deep place of me. Because it's it's hard. Like, you know, I think of, like, angry women as, you know, being not being taken seriously or being shrill or dismissed. And um, how would that translate into if you were a monster and, like, there's an interesting question in the book that comes up is like, you know, one character doesn't want to control their rage and another character is like, we kind of have to control our rage or else we'll do damage. And um, some of that stuff I brought up in the book and I don't really have answers to. It was just like, there's a lot there that I don't think we really get an avenue to, to explore as women. Yeah. And I, I loved the way that was handled. I think, I mean, societally, I think the way we view men's anger versus women's anger is the thing that's... Yeah, and I feel like in general, like, an angry man is kind of cool in Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, I'm thinking of, like, fiction or, like, you know, like a John Wick or something like that. But if there's, like, I'm thinking of, like, female revenge stories and how they're received and um well even in those stories i feel like they still have to be like this cool calm like i'm doling out revenge but i'm hardly breaking a sweat like i'm not really getting worked up or emotional about it like i'm just coolly watching you suffer like you don't really even get to like delve into the rage of it yeah they don't get to be red-faced and screaming Mm -hmm. like they still have to be beautiful and put together yeah how we experience our rage is interesting and how we are 
allowed to. Like if if we were raised in a way where we could express our anger or we weren't told to, you know, be polite or be quiet or things like that, how would our rage manifest? And, you know, for me, like, and I'm sure a lot of us will never really know what to do with our anger because from a young age, we were told how we are supposed to deal with it. So if there's a way that we're, we would have experienced it organically. Otherwise we've been kind of trained not to. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to think about. I don't really have answers to a lot of questions that I raise in my books, but it's just a hopefully opening doors to conversations. I think we should all just go into a rage room. I think it should be something that we get like a credit for. Maybe like every quarter we can go and just go nuts. Should be government subsidized. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jocelyn also says, please tell Rachel that her corresponding playlist that she made is excellent and got me through my working week. And I'm very excited to start such sharp teeth. Love a woman werewolf so much. I appreciate that because actually music was like a really important part of writing this book for me. And um, like the song Communication uh, by the Cardigans was like, to me, it's like Rory and Ian's song. When I was writing scenes between them, I would play it. Um, so I'm very proud of that playlist. And I'm glad someone listened to it because I was like, I was hoping they would. Um, yeah, again, as a millennial, I'm a very, I take my playlists very seriously. <laughs> Do you think it's because we came from like the last generation to have mixtapes? Yeah, like burning CDs and like putting a lot yeah. of thought into it. So yeah, I take my playlist very seriously and I appreciate listening to it. It is a good playlist. Yeah. It's funny because I was listening to, as I said, I am a chuggy millennial Taylor Swift fan. Um, so I was listening to Evermore and Folklore and um, Tis the Damn Season. I was listening to it and I'm like, this is very Ian and Rory, like coming back, coming back home. And like the guy that was always there, like the path not taken, but he like knows you better than anybody else could ever know you. It's like, oh, and then of course, Mad Woman from Folklore. I'm like, there we go. No one likes a mad woman. It's a shame she went mad. Yeah. <laughs> And I'll confess, I've had, I, all writers have this thought about famous people. I was like, I feel like Taylor would like Cackle <laughs> when Folklore and Evermore came out. I was like, I feel yeah. like this would be her vibe. Oh, 100%. Um, and on it, we don't know what Midnight's will hold, but it could be a pretty, such sharp teeth adjacent vibe because it seems a bit more rockish. Yeah. Somebody has to slip it to her. <laughs> Is it? Does anybody know Taylor's publicist? Yeah. <laughs> I really think Taylor would be a Rachel Harrison fan. It's such a like smug thought. I mean, we all have thoughts like that sometimes where we'll see someone famous and be like, I feel like we'd be friends. But as like writers, I feel like I, maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm just like narcissistic. I'm like, maybe. You know, like I feel like there's something there. It's funny. I was reading uh, Mindy Kaling's memoir because I love Mindy Kaling because again, I am a chuggy ass millennial who grew up on the office um and in her memoir she's like a lot of people think that they would be friends with me and i'm like okay, yes and she's like actually i'm really annoying and you should talk to my real life friends and i'm like no i could deal with that i'm always like the the introverted quiet one with like very loud extroverted friends so actually we would be good friends we would be a good match i could see it Oh, I did want to talk to you about bad dolls because when you came on last year and I was going on my whole thing about how I hate dolls and you just coyly said like, oh, maybe there's something coming out for you soon. You were talking about this. I was. Yeah. The last story. So not every story is about creepy dolls. Yeah. The first story is about a creepy eight ball. The second story is about a bad bachelorette party. The third is about a dieting app that's like horrific and then the third is about a possessed porcelain doll i think my favorite story was the bachelorette party one so i did want to ask a bridesmaid <laughs> i haven't had any nightmare uh bridesmaid scenarios i was gonna ask if you had you don't have to like put anyone on blast no uh 
I what I will say is that I was reading So Happy for You by Celia Lasky, which is a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it. It's not horror, but it's like um like a dark thrillery vibe. It's just a, a brilliant book. I highly recommend it. But it's very similar in terms of like the content. And I was like, it's so weird that like both of us would have this concept. And then I was like, oh no, we've just both been bridesmaids. Um <laughs> But I just think it, in general, not just me being a bridesmaid, but my friends being bridesmaids and hearing about this like wedding industry where it's not just like you're a bridesmaid anymore. You have to show up to the bridal shower and the bachelorette weekend, and then you have to show up to the wedding. And like, it's like thousands and thousands of dollars and there's lots of expectations and gifts and dresses and um, it's just, to me, it seems very ridiculous. And so, I mean, but again, if it makes you happy, like if that's your thing, then go for it. Um, you know, I got married on a Tuesday and then like got pancakes and went bowling. So like, you know, I, I'm, that was what I wanted to do. If you want to have like a huge wedding and do all that stuff, go for it. But, um, yeah, to me, I was just like, what would be the next thing besides, like all of these things that are asked of bridesmaids, like what more could be asked? So that's how that story came to be. But uh, if you had a bad time being a bridesmaid at any point, that's the story for you. And if you loved being a bridesmaid and that's your whole thing, good for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, You're the maid of honor in that scenario. (laughs) Um, You know, I think, well, for mine, I had like a low, uh, like a, small church wedding but the night before my like bachelorette party uh my bridesmaids just came over and we like ordered pizza and watched zombie land and had like a slumber party that's ideal yeah Yeah. not like the like all right we're gonna go out and we're all gonna wear matching outfits and like matching sashes and just yeah my sister-in-law who's like very extroverted and um i don't know how she like meets this many people but she's in weddings all the time and she was telling me she was just in one that was in charleston which i guess is the new like bachelorette party destination and she was telling me that she had a very type a bride friend who they were going to take pictures on this like rainbow street and everyone needed to have a certain color dress everyone was going to be assigned like a certain color bathing suit for like all the instagram photos and i'm like that sounds like an absolute nightmare (laughs) and it was after i had read the story i was like ooh. This is given bad yeah, This vibes. is given bachelorette. <laughs> yeah, this is given bachelorette. And I wanted to say that first story, the Magic 8-Ball, um, I found out you're a big Twilight Zone fan. Yes, I am obsessed with the Twilight Zone. I have it everywhere. I have a, a Twilight Zone lamp in my desk, and I have a huge Rod Serling print on my wall. I'm a big, big Twilight Zone fan, and that story is it's a little Twilight zone Yeah. Um, I couldn't put my finger on it and then I had read somewhere that you were a big Twilight Zone fan I'm like that's it like I remember I remember an episode that had kind of a similar vibe to it and I absolutely loved it I also am obsessed with the Twilight Zone what's your favorite probably to serve man is the classic uh yeah it's hard to beat that one in terms of like how memorable it is but I mean, there are so many good ones. I did, I will say, the Talkie Tina episode was on at midnight 2019 into 2020. So, like, now I, I like, will never watch that episode again because 2020 was such a cursed year. And I, like, blame Talkie Tina. Like, I feel like that had something to do with it. So I won't watch that episode again. The rest I'll, I will put on a marathon and just have the time of my life. Oh, yeah. I what about love, you? I do love to serve man. Um... I like there's a lot of like weird ones that really stick out to me it's like the, the four characters in search of an exit I really like um I also really like the ones that deal with nostalgia um even though I think I have like a weird relationship with nostalgia like the the one where the man is in the the boarding house and finds like the radio where he hears like the big band music and he starts spiraling and he like refuses to see his real life in front of him because he is just like stuck to this radio or like a I'm so bad with titles but like the episode early on where like the guy's car breaks down and he goes back to the street and it's like the street where he grew up and he sees like the younger version of himself and his parents like that one is 
I just I really enjoy those and I know those aren't the like horror spooky (laughs) ones but I think he just does that so well some of the more understated ones are are really beautiful and I like the hitchhiker that one I guess is pretty scary yeah that's a Um, really good one a most unusual camera is another good one for some reason that one it's not like classics it's not like the the dummy one scary but like for some reason that one really scares me where they take a picture and it's like the um whatever the is on the photograph it's like a few seconds into the future will the real martian please stand up yeah oh yeah that was there's so many good ones i know it's <laughs> uh, yeah there's a ton um, I also really like the last train to Willoughby. That's another like yeah, kind of nostalgia. nostalgia one. One. Yeah. yeah, I do. I love that brand of Twilight Zone <laughs> episode. Yeah, and, and Black Mirror. Um, I feel like the equivalent in Black Mirror would be like San Junipero, where it's mm-hmm. like sometimes the the more emotional ones are the standout versus the ones that are like going somewhere dark. I've toyed with the idea. I like two years ago of doing like a twilight zone read alike episode like if you like this episode read this book but i was worried i know the show is so old but i'm like there's so a lot of the episodes are so twist dependent that am i giving it away by telling you that you would like this book if you would like this episode and i got so close i still have the google doc here i mean i vote do it but take it from where it comes um yeah, but I feel like a lot of them, too, are very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Like the one with the slot machine. I feel like that's a specific vibe that you could find a book with a similar. Yeah, that's a fun um, thought experiment, too, to just think about like books that would fit certain episodes. I love doing shit like that. <laughs> yeah. If you want to come on for that, let me know. I would love to. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember because I even asked like online and I got so many responses because I asked like, what's your favorite episode? Um, it was a lot of the monsters are due on Maple Street, you know, to serve man. Um, it was like two years ago, too. Drag it back up. Is there a book you've enjoyed recently? So I'm currently reading This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno. <gasps> Have you read it? Yes. I'm like three quarters of the way through it and I'm so obsessed with it. It's just like... Every like I get every few pages and I'm just like this fucking book like I just like I'm blown away by it I'm so blown away by it uh, I can't I will recommend this book until I'm blue in the face it's if you are listening and haven't read it yet it is stunningly beautiful and will break your heart and scare the ever living daylights out of you yeah. you must read and I feel like it's kind of flown under the radar um, but everybody should read it. That first chapter just absolutely broke my heart when he's at his wife's funeral and he's like talking to her. Oh my gosh, it was heart wrenching. Yeah, and it gets better slash worse. <laughs> yeah, so that is a good one. Well, can you tell us anything you're working on now? So I'm waiting for edits on book four, which I, I kind of teased as like a, a family drama, but. Ooh. <laughs> last time I was on this podcast I was talking about Malignant <laughs> and this book to me I wanted to kind of bridge the gap between like an Ari Aster hereditary like kind of arty like family drama um, and like Malignant like the like bad shit craziness of Malignant the like fun horror camp and like very like servicing in the genre um versus like what they call like elevated horror so i kind of wanted to like play in the space between them and uh so that's what book four is and it's a uh, family drama about a, a young woman who's estranged from her family and uh returns home to her small hometown <laughs> it's not just it is kind of a small hometown but it's not um and kind of things go from there um it's the first book I've written that there's like gonna be spoilers like so it's interesting for me to have to like figure out how I'm gonna pitch it and talk about it yeah but that's the general gist of it 
Ooh, I and to am... be out next October. So okay. I, as you know, very intrigued, and I, I need to know how malignant and Ari Aster esque horror come together. But if anyone can do it, you can. Oh, <laughs> we'll see. If we did like a, a body horror werewolf rom com that is somehow felt healing to me and probably to a lot of other people, you can do this. Oh, I hope so. I try and do something like challenge myself every book to try something a little bit different. Um, so it's rolling the dice a little bit, but it it was really fun. Like I had so much fun writing such sharp teeth that when I like sat down to write this fourth book, I was like, I want to have as much fun as possible. So that's really like all you can control as a writer is how much you enjoy the writing. So um, I had a blast writing it so far and I hope it'll be a fun read very exciting well we have a tradition on the show to ask our guests for a chilling obsession so something in horror that you've enjoyed recently um so I'm obsessed with the pallbearers club by Paul Tremblay uh like I'm gonna be mercy for Halloween I have to like figure out how to get a Polaroid camera um, on the cheap, but I absolutely love that book. And um, if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. And um, I guess like just getting excited also for um, the cabinet at the end of the world adaptation intrigued to see how it is. Um, So I guess, just like a, I have to like stop talking about Paul Trimley on podcasts because he's going to take out a restraining order. But I was really, I really just love the Paul Bearers Club. Um, and I'm looking forward to Cabin at the End of the World. I, Knock at the Cabin, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how it's adapted. Yeah, um, I think we're all in the horror, yeah. in like the book horror world, we're all like, we'll see, M. Night, we'll see. Yeah, he's a he's a director with a reputation, so we will see. Because uh, it's a book I loved that freaked me out. Um, I'm sure it'll be scary. I'm just interested to see how it it translates. I th- yeah, all of the 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 horror book world is gonna walk in, just like like. Mm-mm. Hmm. We'll see. You peasants didn't read the book. Uh, excuse me. It's actually based. We're all gonna walk in with our copies. Uh. I don't know if you know, sir, this is actually based on a Paul Tremblay novel. <laughs> I just watched a Deadstream on Shudder last night, just like influencer found footage horror. I do love like influencer horror. Was it uh, good? Like, it was fun. And I felt really dumb because I was like halfway through the movie and I'm like, Deadstream, like the opposite of a live stream. Mm. I didn't get it either, <laughs> to be fair. But I was like watching it. I'm like, and it just clicked. I'm like, oh, well, I see what you did there. Um, but it was it was a ton of fun. I think maybe because my son is eight and he watches a lot of these obnoxious YouTube personalities. I'm like, no, yeah, that is that is what they're like. You're really nailing that obnoxious high energy. Like, like hey guys, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so if you don't like that, I mean, it's a lot of that for for the movie. But it's a like a, a YouTuber who's going to a haunted house and he's like live streaming the whole thing. So you kind of see like little chats pop up on the sides and he like interacts with people. Um, and yeah, it is like fun. It gets like the a supernatural, spooky, scary, uh, and like a lot of really good like visual stuff. It wasn't like super scary, but it was, it was a fun, good time. Have you, so I watched Mr. Harrigan's phone on Netflix. Have you seen that one? No, because I have the um, the story and I'm like, oh, now I need to I need to like read it before I watch it. So I'm like waiting until I I do that. Was it good? I was surprised by it. It wasn't I mean, it wasn't bad. I wasn't like blown away. I was just surprised. Uh, it wasn't like from the trailer and like. I, sh- I shouldn't say this because I, I get upset when people are like, I thought it was going to be scarier about my books. But, like, I thought it was going to be scarier <laughs> about, uh, yeah, it just wasn't as scary as I thought. 
um, it was going to be based on the trailer. So, uh, mm-hmm. not I still enjoyed it, but I was just surprised um, that it, it didn't lean more into the to the horror. All right, so I'll keep that in mind going in. Yeah, it's still worth watching. Great performances. Um, but yeah, I was I was surprised because I mean I like was expecting like the last Stephen King adaptation I saw was it. So I was like ready to be like to buckle up, but I wasn't familiar with the story. So maybe I wasn't um, maybe reading the story first. You'll go in and kind of know what to expect more. So, yeah. Have you been watching that uh, 101 scariest movie moments on shutter? I haven't. No, I like I intended to watch it in October and then my schedule slowly <laughs> filled up. But I, I'm hoping to get to it before October or before like Halloween. Yeah. They've been doing like an episode a week, so it's still not even all the way through. But it was just some like good movie moments that I had forgotten about. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, like Annihilation. I'm like, oh, yeah, Annihilation is not one that I would have even thought to put on the list. But you are correct. Yes. <laughs> The bear in Annihilation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I want to watch it. I have to reignite my motivation. Well, our second tradition on this podcast is to ask our guests for a final girl song. So, Rachel, what is your song? So, it's actually a song that was on the Such Sharp Teeth playlist, and it's uh, Stay Soft by Mitski. I'm a Mitski super fan. Uh, I don't know if that makes me a basic millennial <laughs> or if that makes me cool and Gen Z. I think that I think it is cool. Okay. Um, so I'm very cool, everybody. I'm a Mitski super fan. Uh, but Stay Soft is out as from her most recent album, Laurel Hell. And it's a like very upbeat song that the lyrics are very like anytime I'm feeling sorry for myself or I feel like, oh, I have such thin skin. I'll listen to Stay Soft and it like puts me in a good headspace where I feel like back in touch with my like punk self. And so uh, it's a good mood and uh, it's a perfect final girl song. Ooh. I will add that to the list. I don't think we have any Mitski on there, but I'm excited to put her on. I'm honored to be <laughs> the first person to add it on. <laughs> I have to go back and look at the playlist now because I, I looked at it bef- like – I had it up last year, but time has gone by, so I need to go back and see what everyone else has put on. It was equally as eclectic. Um, gotten some, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. Like uh, Clay McLeod Chapman did like Neutral Milk Hotel. Then like I had someone put Lizzo on there. You know, it is an eclectic mix. I'm excited to give it a listen. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry, I have like chaotic energy today, but this has been so fun. And uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll do it again next year. For sure. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at BooksFreezerPod on Instagram and TikTok at Books in the Freezer. And you can send us an email at BooksInTheFreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at BooksInTheFreezer.com where you can find titles of the books mentioned in today's episodes as well as several ways to support the show including becoming a patreon supporter and affiliate links and if you're looking for a free and easy way to show your support you can always leave a quick one sentence review on a site like apple podcasts i'm pretty sure you can literally write just good podcast and i mean ideally leave a five star rating but you do what you want and on Spotify, uh, it's pretty easy. You don't actually type anything. I think if you've listened to the podcast through Spotify, you're able to just leave a star rating. So big thank you to all of you who have taken the time to do that. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Instagram at that's what she read. That's that's with two A's and Twitter. I mean, if it'll still be around uh, at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y-G-A-G-N-O-N. 
Thank you so much for listening and see you next time on Books in the Freezer. Thank you.